Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Good evening, Rush Nation, and welcome to the Dynasty Show. My name is Hannah, and I'll be your host for the evening. And this evening, I have got a fantastic guest. I'm really excited about this because we are actually rivals, um, division rivals with our support for the AFC North, and we're going to be breaking down the AFC North as part of tonight's show. So I'm super excited to introduce Tom Strachan. He's at NFL underscore T-Strack on X. Um, He is the co-founder of the Fantasy Sanctuary, some of the best uh, videos on YouTube, and he's got a fantastic Discord, along with, obviously, our old faithful and great friend Rich Cooling, who used to be um, host here, and he's also a writer for Fantasy Pros. Tom, thank you so much for coming. I thought as soon as I saw your name as one of the guests, I had to pencil in the NFC North, uh, the AFC North. (laughs) One of the divisions already are moving us, are moving us to the NFC. <laughs> no, thanks for having me, Hannah. You know, I always enjoy talking fantasy football with yourself. It's always a good time. So this week, we're going to be continuing our Dynasty Division discussion uh, series, and we're moving on to the AFC and the NFC North, and we're going to uh, add a little bit of the AFC South in there as well. So, I mean, I think we have to kick off with the NFC North, right? Um, And we will start with Tom's uh, team, the Ravens. Now, this week, I've we've basically picked a player each from different teams from the divisions to discuss um, from a dynasty perspective. So who we think deserves a bit of discussion. So Tom, who is your first selection and why? I, I, I could have waxed lyrical about a number of Ravens here. I'm sure you know, like, and I feel like Zay Flowers, who had a really nice catch turned into a touchdown last year as somebody who a lot of people are hyped on, but we're going to get to a lot of rookies. I've got plenty of rookies on my list tonight. So the first player for me is J.K. Dobbins. I think in terms of range of outcomes for this year, J.K. Dobbins probably has the largest range of outcomes of probably any Baltimore Raven. You know, last year, it was a disappointing year. He struggled to get past his like ACL, LCL and meniscus injury that he suffered pretty much two years ago. But down the stretch, there were real signs of light, like you saw him leave the league in rushing yards between weeks 14 to 17. He had 7.0 yards per carry, and he was also leading the league in runs 20 yards or more with seven. And that was over the course of four weeks. We've seen how explosive he can be, even when he was dragging his leg behind him. But now when you see him like that he's back out there at training camp, he looks really like his old self. He's got that burst back. He's not gingerly like getting in and out of his breaks. And it feels like things are setting up well for him to have the kind of breakout season that we were hoping for two years ago. 
And people will say, okay, well, J.K. Dobbins has only averaged 11.2 touches per game over his career. And that's completely fair, but Todd Munkin is not Greg Roman. There were so many games where after the game, John Harbour being interviewed and he'd be asked, why did you go away from J.K. Dobbins? Why did Gus Edwards start getting touches just as J.K. Dobbins got hot? And John Harbour would look a bit blank and he'd be like, you know, that's a question I'll have to ask Greg Roman. I wasn't too sure about it myself. But Todd Munkin, you go back to 2016, 2017, when he was offensive coordinator in Tampa. Doug Martin averaged 17.1 touches per game that year. 2018, Peyton Barber averaged 15.9. And then when Munkin was more recently in Cleveland in 2019, Nick Chubb had 21.3 touches per game, as well as seeing like a career high in targets per game. So there's lots of little bits that just sort of like clicking into place. And yeah, I feel like J.K. Dobbins is the kind of player that I want to buy right now because I feel like if you're a contender, he could absolutely be in for a massive year. Yeah, he's a really interesting player, isn't he? And I'm always a little bit kind of hesitant to buy running backs in general because their value in Dynasty can be very volatile. And obviously, they're a bit like a car, aren't they? As soon as you buy them, they seem to depreciate in value. <laughs> so they're never, they're never worth the same as, as when you got them. And I think that's, like you say, that's perfect for the running back uh, position at the moment. So, Tom, if you were interested in going out and grabbing J.K. Dobbins, so currently um, DLF has his current ADP in startups about running back 16. What what would you kind of be thinking that you would like to pay for him if you wanted him on your team? And would you be having him just for a contender? Or would you be even thinking about him in, in things like a rebuild? I think if you're in a risky rebuild where you're looking to acquire a player and then flip them for a profit, during the season when J.K. Dobbins completely fits that. I think, yeah, as a contender, he's probably one of the cheaper running backs that you can buy with quite a big ceiling. The trickiness is that you're likely buying from somebody who's had two years of J.K. Dobbins sitting on IR or, you know, not being able to produce at a ceiling. So you've probably got somebody who either wants you to overpay slightly or you've got somebody who's quite invested in seeing better days from J.K. But I... You know, if I can get J.K. Dobbins for a late first, you know, that kind of projected, like if I really believe I'm a contender and I'm giving up my 2024 first round pick, I'd be completely fine with that. I think you can probably package two early seconds and go and get that. In terms of like similar price players, somebody like Michael Pittman, you could probably trade straight up for J.K. Dobbins. Uh, in terms of other positions, Dallas Goddard might be a player that you could probably pivot from to J.K. Dobbins. Or if you think someone like Josh Jacobs is going to regress this year, the Raiders are just going to be a steaming pile of, you know, then I wouldn't mind pivoting from him down to J.K. Dobbins. You'd probably get a little something on top of J.K. Dobbins as well. Because my big thing in fantasy football is I want players on good offences. And it's not, you know, me being a homer to say the Ravens are going to be a better offence this year than the Raiders. So my next question to you on that then, Tom, is obviously we know he went on pop at the beginning of the offseason. They say because he was injured, but basically mm-hmm. it was because of a contract kind of dispute. Where do you see him being then at the end of this season? Do you think that ultimately if he has a good season, they'll be wanting to re-sign him? Or do you think he's going to be going to a new home? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there was talk that in the Baltimore press that 
the hell talks, you know, the Ravens do want to extend him. They do believe that he is going to get back to his best and they've got every faith in him. And they see him being a part of the team for a long time. But it's tricky because for them, they see, you know, he's missed more games than he's played over his NFL career. And for JK, obviously, he wants to get paid because of the injuries he's been through and what he's had to come back from. I, I think that this is the kind of classic career contract year stuff, which where we could see him explode, get paid. The Ravens, they will have enough money to be able to pay him if they want to. It just comes down to where they see that as a priority over building elsewhere in the team. Yeah, and my, my final question on J.K. Dobbins before we move on, Tom, is how do you think that this rotation is going to go this this season like you said you know previously Gus Edwards has had quite a large portion of these running back uh touches do you think that JK Dobbins is is going to be a bit more of a workhorse now obviously I've heard and seen things in the preseason about Keaton Mitchell working his way up but I know that he's now injured so is Dobbins going to get a I guess a bigger piece of the pie so they say what I think we'll see is JK Dobbins come off the field less you know you know, going from 11 touches per game as a career average, it feels perfectly believable that he can get up to 15, 16 touches per game. He's probably also going to see more targets than he's ever seen before because Todd Munkin, as an offense, he likes to get the running backs involved. Gus Edwards is a complete zero in the receiving game. You know, J.K. Dobbins is above zero. What I think we're going to see is Gus Edwards will be used occasionally in short yardage, goal line, possibly stuff, which will be slightly annoying. But the team very nearly moved on from Gus Edwards this year. You know, he took a pay cut and quite a sizable one to come back to the team. Justice Hill seems to be getting plenty of, you know, uh, hype from the Baltimore beat writers. They're saying that they expect him to have a role where he could be used in situations where the Ravens are trailing and they need that kind of, you know, third down back on the field. And then Keaton Mitchells, he plays special teams, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's involved. I'm Melvin Gordon, I'd be surprised if he makes a team, but none of it adds up to enough to worry me about J.K. Dobbins for this year. Yeah, I, I do agree with you ultimately, Tom, that I'm not a massive fan of buying running backs, as I said before, but he would be one that I would consider particularly where my running back room is like, because like you say, you can probably get him reasonably cheap at the moment. The owner might well be totally fed up with him and ultimately he will outperform what you've paid for him. And like you say, you can either then sell him on and get um, a load of assets or you can keep him on his team, on your team, and hopefully you can become a contender. So we're going to move on to the best team in the AFC North, the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, I know you don't agree with me, Tom, but we'll agree to disagree <coughs> We are champions two years in a row. Can we make it three? Never done before in the AFC North. But I'd like to stick with the uh, running back uh, discussion, really, and, and talk about Joe Mixon. So we know that the Bengals restructured his contract this offseason. He also took a pay cut um, and he's effectively um, contracted on the team until 2025. Now they can get out at the end of this season, but we know he's definitely going to be the Bengals RB1 for at least this season. So what I'd be interested to know is what are you actually doing with him if you have him on your team at the moment? Currently, he's, he's hovered in startups around the running back 20 to kind of 24 this whole offseason, despite, you know, a lot of these kind of other off-field issues. Can or should you be selling him now? Or do you think you need to keep hold of him because people are off him? Or do we need to, is he one where it's a, if he's performing well, sell him to a contender and get him off your team? 
this would have been a lot easier if Samaji P. Ryan had re-signed with the Bengals rather than signing with the Broncos for an identical contract. But then it would have been very easy to be like, okay, Mixon's toast. There's very much not going to be the role for him that he's had. Because he was outproduced by Samaji P. Ryan in both yards per carry and yards per catch last year. And when you go back and look at last season, like it wasn't a fun season of roster, Joe Mixon. Like, yes, he had the 55-point game in week nine. And over the course of the season, he averaged 17.1 PPR points. But that's massively inflated by about 55 points per game. If you remove that, the average 13.9 PPR points per game, which really isn't what you kind of want from a top-tier running back. But the path seems completely clear for Joe Mixon. You know, like, yes, there's Chris Evans, Trayvon Williams, uh, Chase Brown, the rookie. All players who I don't think are really going to seize the kind of role which Samaji P. Ryan had grown into over the years he was there. So I think if you've got Joe Mixon on your team, I don't think you've got much choice because his dynasty values just kind of created over last year to the point where, you know, if you were looking to trade him for somebody straight up, you'd be talking about James Connor, who is, you know, old and not without issues, or, you know, maybe somebody like DeAndre Swift, if you want to shoot for upside on a slightly younger player. But it just seems like, yes, he's going to get a lot of touches. It might not run through him in the same way it has in the past. But if you've got him on your roster, you've probably got to bide your time and wait for those weeks and wait for the injury attrition to set out throughout your dynasty leagues where then you can sell him for, I don't know, if you can get anything beyond an early second, then you've done well. Are you looking to make sure you get off him by the end of the season? I think, you know, he's only 26, 10, 27 this year. So it's like, he's not completely toast. You know, we've seen guys like Derek Henry, Jarrett McKinnon be able to have these kind of careers where they play slightly longer than the running back cliff edge where, you know, like age 28, 29, but I just don't think he's going to be with the Bengals. I know that he took a sizable pay cut next year, but you look at if they truly want to keep T Higgins, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, as well as actually going out and strengthening the defense, which I think is going to be a real problem for him this year, then you've got to make cuts somewhere. And would it be a surprise if they drafted another running back and then started just easing him out? Like for me, yeah, I think Joe Mixon, it'll be like a some cost fallacy, like within a year. Yeah. I am, um, you know, I do think this season he's going to have a massive role. But I agree. I think that I think after this season, they're probably going to want to try and look to move on. But they do need to find that replacement. I actually don't think that, that it's on the roster at the moment. You know, Chase Brown has done some nice enough things, but nothing kind of spectacular. I, I can't ultimately seeing him fulfilling the Joe Mixon role moving forward. So they need to find someone else. But yeah, the question is, I suppose he ends up a bit like maybe a Zeke or a Fournette or, you know, they end up being kind of a bit par on another team I just can't see him going back to becoming you know he's not even a three down back as it is on the Bengals but you know having such a big opportunity share on any other team I, I just I wouldn't be surprised if the Bengals added one of these veterans Leonard Fournette, Kareem Hunt one of these guys who can play you know I mean Leonard Fournette is a good short yardage back is a good pass catching back 
he would fit perfectly to spell Joe Mixon or, you know, there's other guys out there that they could add. And I wouldn't be surprised because if you've got those Super Bowl aspirations, you don't want a weak spot like that. And sad as it is because Joe Mixon's been fantastic, it does feel like he's becoming a bit of a weak spot on that sort of like all guns blazing offense. Yeah. And the other thing is he's just not explosive anymore. You know, last season he had, uh, very, very few, if any, explosive runs. And that was uh, one of our weaknesses. Like, we were, we're actually very efficient on the ground, but we had very, very few big runs. Um, and I think we need someone who can give us that. Now, I think we were kind of hoping that um, Chase Brown will come in and start to do bits like that. But ultimately, I, I think our running back room is going to have and maybe need a rehaul at some point coming up soon. So let's move on and have a chat about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, do you know what? This is a team that I was totally off on, probably through most of the offseason, mainly because they kept their um, offensive coordinator, who just didn't seem to want to do anything for them. But there's been quite a lot of buzz around them coming kind of to the latter half of the offseason. People are seeming to think that things are coming together. Kenny Pickett's looking better. And again, with the running back theme, um, Tom, you have a player that you're interested to talk about on the team. Yeah, for me, it's Jalen Warren. Uh, you know, I approach a lot of fantasy football from a best ball perspective, and Jalen Warren is the most exposure I have to any player this year. Like, I've made a sizable stand that he's going to be taking a decent chunk of Najee Harris's work. And people will point to the fact that Mike Tomlin, you know, he's preferred a single running back to using a committee approach for his entire tenure in Pittsburgh. But what Jalen Warren did in 2022 has to have changed Tomlin's mind somewhat. You know, Jalen Warren's reported for camp and he's looked stronger, he's looked better, you know, all this. Meanwhile, Najee Harris, you know, Le'Veon Bell's telling him he needs to lose weight because he's trying to play it too big a weight and that he's not going to be explosive. So it just feels like even the Steelers are going to come around on running back by committee approaches. And Najee Harris, like, for me he's a complete dead spot in fantasy. There is nobody I'd rather not have on a roster. Like, you know, his opportunity share was 83% in his rookie season. But that was with Big Ben, you know, who was completely immobile. Like, Najee Harris's average depth of target was in the minus figures because it was so, so many dump-offs at or behind the line of scrimmage. And then last year when Najee Harris had the injury, which opened up this opportunity for Jalen Warren, and Warren outproduced Harris in yards per carry at 4.8 to Harris's 3.8. And he also had 8.3 yards per reception to Harris's 5.5. Harris, you know, he had the fifth most rush attempts last year, but he finished 24th in 10 plus yard runs. So, you know, we've gone from talking about Joe Mixon, who isn't explosive. Najee Harris is probably one of the least explosive runners in the game. And I think that we've seen teams when it hits the third year of the contract, that's when the rookie gloss. It just it wears off, you know, it gets to a point, you know, look at Clyde Edwards last year. He, you know, slowly got phased out. We've seen it before with other rookies. And you hit a point where it's like, we're seeing it with Trey Lance. The draft capital just does not matter anymore. The team doesn't care that they spent a first round pick. What they care about is winning games. And after the Steelers looked so dross down the, you know, backstretch last year when Kenny Pickett only had through six total touchdowns, never more than one in a single game. This is a team that's putting pieces together, ready to be competitive and ready to try and win in a very competitive division. And Jalen Warren gives them a better chance to do that than Najee Harris. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think all the signs, as you say, Tom, are pointing to him having a, a bigger and bigger role um, this season. You know, already in, in the pre-season, he's been coming in on snaps, on early downs, not just on these kind of third down situations where we thought he probably would be in anyway. And obviously, we've seen that big playability at the weekend where he ran off that 62-yard touchdown. So... I think all the signs are pointing to him having a bigger role. I totally agree. Najee Harris, for me, I really just do not like him at all. Absolutely. I would never I would never take him in a startup. I wouldn't take him in redraft. I wouldn't take him in best ball. I just think his ADP on all formats is way too high. I think we're expecting, as you said, rookie Najee, which is just never, ever going to appear again. So I just had a little look on DLF and looked at some recent trades for uh, Jalen Warren. And I'm just interested, Tom, whether these are kind of ones that you'll be interested in. So um, someone traded AJ Dillon and a 24 third for uh, Jalen Warren and a 24 second. Um, is that something that you would that you would absolutely love that? As somebody who doesn't really believe in AJ Dillon, yeah, I mean that's, that's yeah, I'd uh, absolutely love that deal. I think it's a great deal. There was a di direct trade, uh, Jamal Williams for Jane and Warren. Yeah, I think that's completely even in value. I don't think Jamal Williams is going to score 17 touchdowns and, you know, have 40 plus touches inside the 10 yard line again. So I think that's a great way to get off a player who's older onto a young player. And then just one last one for us to, to, to chat about. And that was um, they sold Elijah Mitchell for Jane and Warren and a 24 third. Yeah, I quite like that. I think Elijah Mitchell obviously has huge contingent value if something happened to Christian McCaffrey. It's a great scheme. We expect him to be good. We've seen Elijah Mitchell be good. But I think it's more likely that Jalen Warren has more touches this year than Elijah Mitchell. Yeah, I agree. And also... You know, we know that Elijah Mitchell does struggle to stay on the field already in this offseason. He's had an injury. Um, he's He has been really good when he's been on the field and they have actually quite liked to use him a reasonable amount, even though they have CMC. Um, so I think he could be reasonably good at least this season. But I, but I agree. I think that there's certainly more of a risk to him, in my opinion. So let's move on to the last team in this division, the Cleveland Browns. So Elijah Moore is someone who obviously showed really good promise as a rookie, but unfortunately had this really tumultuous time last season. He basically fell out with the Jets coaching staff and then really just barely got on the field, didn't play particularly well. In February, his ADP actually dropped really low to wide receiver 52. But since his trade to the Browns, it has slowly started to creep up and he's now sitting around wide receiver 40. So what do you think of his long-term outlook, really? Do you think he can bounce back? Is he someone that you would like to target for your teams? Not really, no. I think there's, in most leagues, there's somebody who really believes in Elijah Moore and they're the person who I'm trying to sell Elijah Moore to if I had any Elijah Moore, you know, shares. I think... The history of players who teams give up on uh, during their rookie contract and move on from, it's not good. You know, it, it's very rare that those players turn things around and suddenly we're like, oh my God, how did that team get that player for that price? I think the Browns, you know, they do a good job with their wide receivers. They've, you know, between this and Amari Cooper, that's two absolute bargains they've got. So, they can be, you know, pat themselves on the back for that. And all the talk is that they see Elijah Moore as a weapon, someone that he can use in lots of different ways. 
The amount of times that teams talk about, we see this player as a weapon. We could utilize him in loads of different ways. And then he gets to the season and they just don't know what to do with them because it's like they see them as a situational piece, but they don't see him as the three down player. They don't see him as the player playing in two wide receiver sets. And Donovan Peoples-Jones was really good last year, like really good for a player who was, wasn't even drafted in a lot of redraft leagues. His connection with Deshaun Watson seems stronger than David Njoku, seems stronger than Amari Cooper's. So I don't think that's going to completely go away. I think what we see out of Elijah Moore is he'll mix in and out in the slot, which is a position which he's kind of enjoyed playing, but he also says he wants to play on the outside as well. I don't see him playing on the outside over Donovan Peoples-Jones. I don't see him playing on the outside over Amari Cooper. <clears throat> and all this kind of using him in the backfield stuff, it's cute, you know, great. Every year we're told this is the new Debo Samuel, this is the new Curtis Samuel. But it's very rare that players get utilised in that way when the games matter. And I, I just think, is Elijah Moore good? Was the sample size we saw during his rookie year really what Elijah Moore is? Or is the truth a lot closer to what we saw last year when things weren't perfect? And... He's just not a player that I'm particularly interested in. In best ball, I've probably got about 5% exposure to him because he goes in an area of drafts where it feels like you probably want that fifth, sixth wide receiver on your roster before things completely dry up. But in Dynasty, I just think there's always going to be somebody willing to pay for Elijah Moore more than I am. Like You look at trade values and you could probably get Christian Kirk straight up for Elijah Moore. You could probably get Keenan Allen straight up. And I'd rather have Keenan Allen for maybe the last year or two of his career than Elijah Moore, a player I don't really have any faith turning it around. Yeah, I think you've got a really interesting opinion, actually, Tom, because basically I think the majority of things that I hear is from the Elijah Moore truthers, to be honest. You know, I think they're shouting very loud. They think that he's going to turn it around in in uh, Cleveland I think sometimes it's easy to get swept up in that kind of oh he's going to do amazing everyone's saying that he's going to bounce back um, you know and then you end up going and overpaying for someone and realizing that actually they've they've added nothing to your to your team so I think it's always good to to hear that the, the the different opinions and have that balanced approach if I can get him cheap enough then I, then I'll, I will potentially do it but like you say I think usually there's some sort of a leisure more truth in a league and and usually they're the owner of him and I think it's difficult to get him at any kind of discount now especially now that he's on the Browns and you know people are hearing that they're going to use him as a weapon and and things like that so I think it's going to be difficult if you haven't got him now you know you haven't got him um but yeah absolutely really interesting discussion there Let's move on to the NFC North um, and we'll start with the Minnesota Vikings, the current division champions. And who's your pick? We start, I think, chatting about some rookies now. So who's your pick on uh, uh, from the Vikings? Yeah, well, I mean, there's no point in me putting Justin Jefferson in here because he's just unattainable unless you're really willing to pay the world. And I'm not really in on TJ Hawkinson at cost. I think Jordan Addison, for me, is the player who's most interesting. You know, he's not the biggest guy. He's 5'11", 173 pounds. But he's such a polished route runner that it doesn't matter. He's a technician. Like, he can absolutely lose people at the line of scrimmage. And what he walks into is a huge opportunity. You know, Adam Thielen last year was absolutely dust, but he still commanded, like, 100 targets. And then... They went out and got TJ Hawkinson because they needed somebody who was more lively than Adam Phelan. 
And in terms of players available, TJ Hawkinson was available. There were no wide receivers who could come in and hit the ground running. And I just think Addison's ability to like manipulate defenses and, you know, run in and out of the slot with Justin Jefferson, being able to cycle in and out of there, he's going to get so many good matchups straight away because Justin Jefferson probably sees the most double coverage of any player in the league. And sometimes that gets overblown, but it's like when teams see the Vikings on their schedule, everything starts with how do we stop Justin Jefferson? And that is going to lead to Jordan Addison having really good advantageous matchups. And one thing that's kind of been thrown out is, okay, well, KJ Osborne's been noted as the wide receiver two on depth charts because he's a better blocker. I could not care less about that. Because two years ago, when Justin Jefferson came into the league, he was wide receiver four on the depth charts. So we know it's nonsense. But also, the Vikings aren't going to use their wide receivers to block because they just paid Josh Oliver, tight end, who was with the Ravens, who became a really good run blocker. They paid him, I think it was like the second best tight end contract in free agency. They see him being on the field as that sixth lineman constantly, and that's going to allow Jordan Addison to slot into two wide receiver sets with Justin Jefferson because he's a far better wide receiver than KJ Osborne. And yeah, I think he could see 100 targets and be the wide receiver one amongst the rookies. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately talent wins out, doesn't it? You know, and even if they say, oh, KJ Osborne is ahead of him, you know, I think ultimately Jordan Addison will outperform him, even if it's not right, right at the beginning of the season, you know, it's certainly going to be very quickly. And uh, I think he is, he's a, He's a great player to acquire, isn't he? My, I guess my slight concern is, or I would much rather be acquiring him in a uh, rookie league, uh, rookie draft, than obviously yeah. in startups now. So I was just having a quick look at startup ADP. So players going around him were looking at, um, you know, this is in like a one QB league. So we're looking at like Burrow, Josh Jacobs, Hawkinson, his teammate, Calvin Ridley, Lamar. Um, Justin Herbert, Terry McLaurin. Now, I, I do quite like uh, these QBs, probably less bothered about the skilled players going around him. So I guess if you've got, you know, your elite quarterback or you're thinking, oh, I want to wait on quarterback, then, you know, he would be a good shout there. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's tricky, but the price is only going to go up. This is a player, we see this time and time again. The rookies, even sort of like that first round pick, they're only going to get more expensive in a year from now. He could be the kind of player where you're talking about a first and a second or, you know, possibly even two firsts. So, yeah, I've got faith that it's going to be a worthwhile play. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's that's a very fair shout, Tom. Let's move on to the T- Detroit Lions. For me, the, the player I think we have to discuss is Jameson Will- Williams. You know, Ever since he got drafted, there's been excitement around him. Um, but then after his gambling suspension, it seems to start waning a little bit. He's dropped to wide receiver 42 in startup ADP, which is his lowest so far. Um, I I have question marks about him. Do you also have question marks? Or do you think that ultimately when he gets back on the field, he's going to be a great weapon for them? And, and potentially this is our buy low opportunity. For me, he's just a player that I, I don't need the headache. I don't need the headache. If someone else can have the headache and, you know, talk about the perceived value in a player who was a really good prospect coming out. But nothing has gone right for him so far. There aren't any particular good vibes. It's not like Dan Campbell is coming out and going, 
Okay, Jameson Williams looked incredible in training camp today. Jameson Williams is going to be such a special player for us down the stretch. You know, he made a mistake. It's fine because he's going to be incredible. All he's saying is, you know, he needs reps. He needs reps. He's never going to be a natural pass catcher. For a wide receiver who went as high as he did to not be a natural pass catcher, that's quite alarming. Like, you know, you look at when he was on the field last year, and yes, he was coming back from an ACL injury. He had one career catch on nine targets. It wasn't just like that he only had one target. One catch on nine targets is woeful. I think this offense is crying out for a second wide receiver. But for me, I would rather pivot down to somebody like Josh Reynolds, who will be available practically on waivers in some leagues. And you look at the connection he's had with Jared Goff going back to their time together at the Rams. They've been players who have shown a connection. Josh Reynolds' career catch rate, uh, sorry, catch rate last year was 67%. He's shown he can be reliable. You know, he played with the Lions throughout the entire season last year, and he had games of 21 PPR points, 16 PPR points, 15 PPR points, 15 and 12. He was a wide receiver three in six different games. That's fantastic value for a player who's going to be on waivers. Meanwhile, you're telling me that Jameson Williams, I'm going to have to go out and give up, you know, what, like, I don't know. I think anybody who's got Jameson Williams is not going to want to give up on him easily. I think anyone who doesn't have Jameson Williams isn't going to value him appropriately for the people who do have him. I would be hesitant to give up anything above a late second for him. Yeah, I have had hesitant, I've been hesitant about him ever since he came out, to be honest. You know, yes, he showed that tiny flash, like you say, on the one catch you managed to make, but he's had so much time now. So we missed basically the whole season pretty much. Then he's got this suspension. Then, oh, he can play in the preseason, but now he's got an injury. So, and also he can't even rehab in the facility because he's suspended. He has to go off-site to do his rehab. So to me, all of that is red flags. I have zero interest in him. You know, some people are saying, you know, grab him and then put him on your IR until he's ready. Honestly, I mean, he's suspended, so he might not even be able to go for most leagues. He's a stay away from me. I have, have zero interest. So let's talk about the Green Bay Packers. Obviously, totally new offense really now because uh, we've moved on from Aaron Rodgers finally, and Jordan Love is is taking the helm. And this is one of the youngest or the youngest offense in the league. So, Tom, who would you like to talk about? So, for me, the price difference between Romeo Dubs and Christian Watson just doesn't seem right. You know, particularly in redraft and best ball, Christian Watson goes uh, top sort of forty eight pick. But Romeo Dubs is available at sort of like round 13 or so. And yes, last year, Christian Watson was incredible for like between weeks 10 to 13, he had 99 PPR points, wide receiver three over that period. But for the rest of the season, he only had 12 points, you know, so just one more performance over 12 points. So everything's changing. We know Romeo Dubs has just an easy route to being Jordan Love's primary target as Christian Watson. And he's available at an absolute fraction of the price in terms of how the preseason's gone for him. He's the highest graded wide receiver in preseason so far per PFF. And he isn't coming off the field. I know that some people thought Jaden Reed could be the player who kind of grows into a role where he takes all the slot snaps and he ends up on the field a lot. But so far it's, Dubs and Luke Musgrave, who are just on the field all the time, even ahead of Christian Watson. And 
given the cost difference, yeah, I, I'm much more interested in dubs. Yeah, it's interesting, is it? Because I've heard that him and Love have got a really great connection. Um, and so that they've been kind of vibing a lot in the off season and doing really, really well. And interestingly, did play actually the most offensive snaps of all of the Green Bay rookies last season. And that was even despite missing four weeks with injury. So I, I do think they like him and they want him on the field. We know that he came out with an absolute bang at the beginning, beginning of last season. There was a massive hype in the off season and he played reasonably well the first few weeks. I think it was week five or something. He ended up as wide receiver 10 um, in PPR points. Um, but, you know, ultimately he got the injury and he dropped off a bit. Um, but I think this is a chance now for him to really show that he can be a great starter. And as you say, I just cannot get in on Christian Watson and on his um, current ADP and cost that is going to to get to acquire him. He's going to be a fortune. And I personally think he has quite a boom bust profile. So I would agree with you. I'd much rather have Dobbs um, than him. Just really quickly, I just want to go through a couple of trades because I um, see if you'd be interested. So this one, I think I know you're, what you're going to answer is going to be because recently someone traded Jameson Williams for Romeo Dobbs. Oh, that team Dobbs. Exactly. Yeah. I think that would have been. The next one is Marvin Mims for Romeo Dobbs. Yeah, I'd say that Marvin Mims, you know, Sean Payton's first draft pick, traded up to get him, exactly the kind of like undecided wide receiver that Sean Payton's used a lot throughout his career. And yeah, I'd, uh, I'd take Mims there. So then the last one is Hunter Henry for Romeo Dobbs. Maybe in a tight end premium league, I think that Hunter Henry... I think that's probably not fair value on Hunter Henry. I think Hunter Henry's probably worth less than that. If I could get Hunter Henry in a late third for Romeo Dubs, I'd probably do that, but uh, not straight up. Yeah, I, I agree with, with what you're saying there. So last team in this division, the the Chicago Bears. Um, sticking with the wide receiver theme, DJ Moore, you know, he has been quite a polarising player, I think, in the fantasy community. You know, some people absolutely love him and just say, look, he's not had the, the quarterback to be able to give us these fantasy performances. Like, we know he's talented. You know, I don't think anyone kind of disputes that. But he's never managed to reach the heights of an elite fantasy status. Now he's on the Bears with a QB that, you know, we, we all know need some improvement in the passing game. And this has actually brought his ADP down to its lowest so far. So he's currently sitting in startup leagues about wide receiver 25. Again, are you interested, Tom? Or do you think this is just another kind of DJ Moore season in which he's going to be meh? No, um, I, I like DJ Moore as a player. I think he's a really fun player with a really impressive range of outcomes at times but the last dj moore share i had was in a league which we're in which i won this trophy in and i traded him pretty much as soon as he was traded to the bears to our friend matt for a first round pick and for me that was an absolute no-brainer because while dj moore does have a ceiling and he has played with some terrible quarterbacks we've seen plenty of bad wide receivers over the years be reliable in the red zone at least and DJ Moore's never been a reliable touchdown scorer. He's had 21 in his first, uh, in his last five seasons combined, which, you know, it's not even inside the top 30 touchdown scorers amongst wide receivers over that period. The Bears, yes, they do have to take a huge leap from 12.8 completions a game. And Justin Fields would be easier for him now that he's actually got weapons. But he, he ranked 56 in passing EPA 
out of 57 quarterbacks who had 50 or more pass attempts, it goes under mention how bad Justin Fields really was simply because he was, you know, breaking these 60, 70 yard fluky runs. And yes, I know for fantasy, that's what we care about, but I just, I'm not sure that this offense can support DJ Moore at his current value. And for me, I'm out on the entire Bears passing game. Yeah, I also agree. I think for me personally, until we see that Fields can actually do it, I'm just not convinced. I think everyone, you know, looks at Hurts and was like, look at look at Jalen Hurts. You know, he is the exact same player as, as Justin Fields, and it's just not the case. You know, no two players are the same. And I think until we see Fields can actually distribute the ball, you know, well, I'm not really in on anyone. I don't quite understand the people that are in on DJ Moore now he's at the Bears, but there are people out there. So like you say, Tom, this may well be your opportunity to sell. Although, as I say, currently in startups, this is his lowest ADP, but there are still DJ Moore truthers out there. I know they are because we see them on X all the time. So go and hunt them out and get him sold. So let's move on to our final division, the AFC South. So let's start with, again, the current division champions, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They saw, I thought they really kind of kicked into gear at the end of last season. And I think they're really an exciting offense for this season. So who would you like to talk about from this offense, Tom? Yeah, we're just, we're all aboard the rookie hype train on this one. It's Tank Bigsby, you know, back-to-back years in college, 10 rushing touchdowns, 50 receptions over the last two years. And that's what the Jags wanted. You go all the way back to the combine. Doug Pedersen, completely unprompted, his pre-combine presser said, we want to add a running back. And that's because Travis Etienne is not a good short yardage back. He turned 40 red zone carries last year into only four touchdowns. That's not the efficiency that they want. Bixby's good at turning those kind of red zone touches into touchdowns. He's also a good pass catcher. And these are things like that lead to high-value touches, and create a fantasy floor. I think Etienne's going to have a role in this because what Travis Etienne's very good at is being explosive. And if you play him in between the 20s, then you can get those kind of runs where he turns, you know, a second and eight into a 40-yard touchdown, stuff like that. But we saw down the stretch last year, they turned everything over to Travis Etienne And I think it was the RB17 from the point where they traded James Robinson for the rest of the season. And now in redraft, he's being drafted as like the RB13, RB14. In Dynasty, I think there's a lot of hype still about Travis Etienne as a prospect and what he was when he came out. But it's year three, and I haven't seen anything that makes me think he's anything special. And you can go and get Tank Bigsby for a fraction of the price. Yeah, I mean, again, already in the off-season, uh, in the preseason, we've seen Tank come in on on these short yardage situations. So in the first preseason game, I think he came in on a, a third and one or something like that, and they took Etienne off. So we kind of know how they're going to want to use him at a minimum. I think if he starts to show more and Etienne's not performing particularly well, I think Tank can easily get you know, a, a bigger opportunity share in this offense. Um, he wasn't rested in the second preseason game along with the starters like some other rookies. Um, but I, I think the more reps he gets in an NFL environment can only be positive for him as long as he doesn't get an, an injury. Um, I have been drafting him quite a lot, mainly in redraft and, and best ball leagues because I, 
I think that he could have a big role even without an Etienne injury. Um, I, I really hate Etienne's ADP everywhere at the moment. Again, he's another Najee for me where people are expecting massive things from him and I think they're expecting too much. Um, you know, I think you're only going to be disappointed at drafting him where he currently is going. So I agree with you, Tom. I would take Tank Bigsby over Etienne um, any day. And again, I suspect he's going to be I suspect this may be some of the cheapest that you're going to get be able to get him at this point. As soon as people see him on the field in the actual season and how much he's going to play, I think his price is going to shoot up. So I Yeah, I mean, it's, it's worth mentioning that, like, Travis Etienne wasn't drafted by this coaching team. He wasn't drafted by this GM. And time and again, time again, we see those kind of things do matter and it's the players that they draft and put draft capital into of their own that matters more. So, yeah, I, sorry, I just felt the need to put that point in there. No, no. Yeah, let's just keep stamping him down. No, but it's a great point, isn't it? Absolutely. They, they have absolutely nothing invested in him. They didn't draft him. So, you know, Tank potentially could, could I think, really start to get, get a decent role in here. So let's talk about the Colts. I mean, there's lots of exciting things going on. Well, mainly Anthony Richardson and everyone's getting very excited. But I do think um, we would be remiss not to mention Jonathan Taylor. You know, things have progressed even more since, um, you know, he, he requested a trade originally now obviously they've given him uh, permission to leave uh, the site uh, for personal reasons and they've officially allowed him to seek a trade his his relationship with the team look appears to be fractured and his rookie contract is up at the end of this season his adp has rapidly dropped to running back six now actually that is obviously not that low but it is compared to what he has been hovering at for for a long time so you know if you are a uh, Jonathan Taylor owner Tom how scared are you right now and are you going to just keep hold until he starts and turns up and plays or are you looking to get out of their ASAP and, and move off him so I flipped Joe Mixon in one of my leagues last year to somebody who was desperate for a running back contender for Jonathan Taylor straight up and that's probably the only team where I was looking at Jonathan Taylor and thinking I either need to move on or I need to make some moves around him to be a contender straight away. But it's it's really tricky right now to kind of look at what we've seen from Jonathan Taylor across the course of his career. And he regressed massively last year from being the RB2 in points per game in 2021 down to RB19. He didn't look like himself. The ankle injury seemed to really bother him. Between weeks three and eight, he had 76 attempts and zero touchdowns to show for it. I don't think he is a good red zone rushing running back. Like You go back to the year before, and part of this is on the offensive line. But yeah, if he stays in Indy, he's not going to catch as many balls as we've seen him do over the last couple of years. But I kind of, I kind of question, where is he going to go? At this point in the year, teams don't tend to have a lot of cap space. And if he wants paying, he wants probably, you know, we look at the top running back contracts, CMC, 16 million a year, Kamara, 15 million a year, Derrick Henry, 12 million, Nick Chubb, 12. So you'll say, okay, he's definitely going to be above Derrick Henry, probably above Alvin Kamara. He probably wants to be in that real true elite level with CMC. I don't think there's any teams who are really going to be desperate to 
go out and pay a running back that, you look at the teams who could spend that kind of money, teams like the Cardinals who are deep in a rebuild. Why go and buy Jonathan Taylor when you'll have to give up premium picks because any picks they have will be towards the top of the rounds? The Lions, they've already added Jameer Gibbs. The Bengals have got probably enough cap space if they wanted to, but then it comes at a cost of, okay, now you can't pay... Joe Burrow right now, or you can't pay T Higgins and Jamar Chase. So, I mean, the Colts were one of the teams who had enough money to be able to make a deal like this, so it becomes pretty tricky. I think you can look at somebody like the Panthers, Frank Reich, Jonathan Taylor's former coach. They've got $20 million in available cap space. You know, you surround Bryce Young with an actual weapon, not one of these dusty veterans that they've added loads of. And that could be really interesting for him. But ultimately, right now, I don't think you can trade him until you know what's going to happen. But I think when you do see where he goes, that's the time it kind of reappraises dynasty value, decide whether the current market is fair. I mean, you know, he is still a top five dynasty running back at the end of the day. I've heard some rumours already, you know, the Dolphins have said they're interested, you know, and people, whether they've officially said or not, but, you know, there's been rumours that, that certain teams are interested I, you know, with with everything that's going on within the kind of the running back market at the moment, I just can't see any team that apparently the Colts saying they want a first or the equivalent of a first to trade him. Plus, then they have to offer him the contract. I just can't see it happening at all. Like I, do, I couldn't see him any on anywhere other than the Colts this season. Yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of clear that the CMC trade is the baseline for this, you know, like whether it's second plus a bunch of picks and stuff like that to get to that value. If I'm the Colts, I'm asking for players as well as picks that can help Anthony Richardson in the immediacy have a smoother runway to like getting through his first year. If you can get an offensive lineman, which is a position they need, or if you can get another wide receiver or a better tight end than the group that they've got, or even better defenders than that, makes a lot of sense but yeah i mean a team a team is going to have to give up a pick and a decent amount of picks and then go okay now we're going to pay a running back 16 million a year for the next what three four years it's it's a tough pill to swallow unless you truly believe you're actually ready to contend and it's worth going back to the fact that you know when Kyle Shanahan did this with the Niners Kyle Shanahan's like I think he babysat CMC or was it his dad babysat CMC? Like the families were very close. There was a lot of different factors involved there and the Panthers were very happy to trade. I just, I think this is going to be messy for a little while yet. Yeah, and I do think it's a massive shame for Anthony Richardson, you know, not to have had, um, you know, him in the backfield during this whole off season because he is a fantastic player and I think he would really help Anthony Richardson develop, you know, because of him being that rushing threat. And I think it's a shame that he doesn't have him and, and you know, if ultimately Taylor holds out, which I don't think any of us, you know, think that he will, then, you know, it, it, I think it is going to affect Anthony Richardson, unfortunately. Let's move on to the Titans. Tom, we're carrying on with the rookie theme. Who have you got for here? Yeah, again, it's all in on the rookie running backs. I mean, these are the kind of guys that when I'm drafting in best ball, I've got plenty of because, you know, I don't like to go running back heavy early on in drafts. And these are the kind of players who have upside, but <clears throat> down the stretch can absolutely just turn it on. And Tajay Spears, we're already seeing how good he's looking in the preseason. We're seeing him look explosive. 
It's 5'10", 200 pounds, had 1,586 yards last year, as well as 19 rushing touchdowns. So, like, he's a player who is able to perform in the rushing game. Derrick Henry is 29 years old. And it doesn't feel crazy to say Derrick Henry might not be on this team by the end of the year. We don't have many marketable assets. The Titans, yes, they brought in DeAndre Hopkins, which was probably one of the strangest moves of the offseason. But their offensive line is going to be the worst in the league. Their defense apparently isn't looking as good as they'd hoped, which that was supposed to be one of the few strengths of this team. And you look at everything and go, okay, well, if this is a team in flux and they turn it over to Malik Willis or Will Levis, what do they need? They need some. They need a running back, and they need to start looking towards the future. It makes no sense whatsoever to turn this team over to a rookie quarterback or a second-year quarterback and then keep pounding Derrick Henry when you need to appraise every angle of your roster. So, yeah, I'm very much all in on Tajay Spears. I think you, you go back to rookie drafts, you can get him for absolute peanuts, that kind of third-round pick because people are worried about his lack of an ACL, but... I mean, I'm not paying. I'm not playing dynasty for three, four year windows. I'm not concerned about what happens there, and the Titans weren't concerned. So if I can get a player for absolute peanuts who's going to give me a couple of years, I'm completely fine with that every day of the week. Yeah, I think that's like a great shout, and I can't disagree with you there. Just before we move on to our last team, Tom, there was a question from McGinnigal. He wanted to know, would you like to see Jonathan Taylor on the Ravens? I mean, it's tricky because he's an absolute monster and he's an incredible rusher, but he doesn't seem to be healthy. You know, this ankle injury is still lingering, and there were reports that the Colts were surprised, but it was still an issue. And I think the draft capital involved in going and getting him. That's not something the Ravens would like to do, paying him $16 million a year after paying Lamar, after bringing in Odell Beckham on that cost. I'm just not sure I could see how it would work unless they were getting rid of J.K. Dobbins as part of the deal. And, I mean, I, I want to see J.K. Dobbins succeed so badly. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say mainly because of the cost of the contract and the picks, I'd pass on it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like you say, it's a lot to give up for him um, at this point. So let's talk about our last team of the evening. It's the Houston Texans. They're looking to try and regain and rebuild a bit of their identity um, after a few tumultuous seasons, to say the least. They've obviously got the new face of the franchise in, in CJ Stroud and, and then like quite an eclectic mix of, of skill players, really. So is there anybody here that you really like from a dynasty perspective? I quite like Nico Collins. I think you look at what he had going on last year. Yes, there was sort of Brandon Cooks there, who obviously he commands an awful lot of the ball, and he's somebody who people kind of really like. But he didn't look like himself. I think Nico Collins, he didn't, you know, have the kind of breakout season that we were hoping for. But I think when he was healthy, he was pacing for, like, he had multiple games where he had, like, sort of, like, 10 targets. He was doing okay. Um, so I think Nico Collins is all right. You know, he only played nine full games, but when he did, he averaged 9.7 PPR points. But when he was really healthy, he was on pace for almost 120 targets. Uh, so, yeah, I think now that Brandon Cooks isn't on the team, I think Robert Woods is fine, but I think he's probably a bit dusty and kind of 
tricky to really imagine him turning on. John Mechie, I liked coming out of college. I think, you know, he was a talented wide receiver in a talented class and slipped to the second round, obviously dealt with leukemia, but all reports of it, he can be an okay um, slot receiver. Tank Dell's picking up a hype, and that's, I think that, you know, at cost, all these pieces are kind of fine. And even Dalton Schultz, uh, don't mind the, you know, if you're looking for a mid-range tight end, going out and acquiring him for, like, what, a mid to late second feels completely fine. Yeah, I mean, they're all super cheap, aren't they? Because um, nobody's really in on the Houston Texans at the moment, especially with a rookie. And everybody is quite eclectic. We're just eclectic. We don't quite know where kind of things are going to play out. And I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't add someone um, in the wide receiver room this off-season coming. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not against Nico Collins. I think he's probably the most likely to break out, isn't he, of, of, of the lot. Um, but I'm always a bit nervous of anybody with it with a rookie because I just don't think they they perform to their best because obviously everybody's getting or the rookies are at least are getting adapted to the NFL so things are not just not quite as uh, settled as if there's, they're with a veteran. Thank you so much, Tom. Before we finish, I would like to do our usual segment of a guest question. So every guest we have on, we do ask them to pose a question to our next guest. So our previous guest, Ali, he's at FF Dynasty Grill on X. He's the co-host of the Fancy Wildcard Dynasty show. And obviously we know him pretty well. Um, He's posed the following question to you, Tom. If something happened to your NFL franchise and it folded, which team would you then root for? I will not root for anyone. Um be completely I'd be rooting for my best ball teams, rooting for my dynasty teams, rooting for whichever players I'm playing in DFS. You know, the Ravens, I've been supporting the Ravens for 15, 16 years. Like it's just it's not that easy. Yeah, you know, you've got to feel a connection to a team and there's teams that I like, there's teams that I root for. But yeah, if the Ravens folded, it it'd just be red zone for me and I'd be completely fine for that. Oh, well that that's a bit of a party pooper answer, Tom. <laughs> so who would you support if the, if the Bengals folded? Because, you know, they have no money. What? Well, who, they, who they, would they could after paying Burrow all this money, let's face it. Um, it's a tough one, isn't it? I There's a, there's a few that I, you know, I'd mind. You know what? I don't mind the Lions at the moment. I just think they're a sneaky Trendy. kind of... Yeah, they are. They're a bit of a fun team, aren't they? <laughs> Um, but I did say to myself that I would never follow a team or a franchise that was just terribly run. Um, you know, the Bengals have been not fantastically run for many, many, many years, and they still do and have their own quirks. And I was like, never again am I, you know, supporting a quirky team. So I think it would maybe have to be someone like the Eagles or something like that, you know, that does good things that make sense. Yeah, um, I mean, like, my gonna go in the chat is saying, you know, he's a 49ers fan. I'd probably be a bit tempted by the Seahawks. Like the Seahawks, they're a nice team, they play in a great city, and I like a lot of the players there. Um, so maybe there'd be teams like that who I might adopt for a year. There's been teams that I've taken on as like second teams over the years, like the Panthers a few years back when Curtis Samuel was there along with uh DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, and they were fun. They were a team I really I watched a lot of their games, but in general now, yeah, I'd just uh, be all about Team Tom Strachan's fantasy teams. 
So you're not a party pooper, really. You do you do uh, have fun and support some other teams occasionally too. But no, I get it. You know, I think it's difficult nowadays when we have so many, um, you, you know, players from all sorts of different teams in our fantasy teams. It makes it difficult to be rooting for just one team because you're like, oh, I've got this guy. Oh, yes, he's got a touchdown. Oh, no, I've got him in one team against him in the other. You know, it, it makes it very difficult to be particularly on, on one certain team. I mean, so, the, key, the key is to have... So many fantasy teams where you're no longer aware of what you need to root for from that and then uh, then it all becomes easier yeah 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 absolutely all those setting lineups can become a complete pain unless you're a best ball nut like you tom isn't that right <laughs> yep so tom what's your question for our, our next guest uh so i'd say what's the one nfl matchup you'd love to see in person i think there's so many kind of like legacy games which would be fun to go and see and Obviously, like going and see my Ravens play against the Bengals and the Steelers would be great. But like the kind of real legacy games like Green Bay against the Bears and stuff like that, where there really is true rivalry between them. And it's not like the kind of forced rivalry between like the Commanders and the Ravens simply because the Commanders are like 20 miles away from Baltimore. Do you know what I would really love to see? Not that you're asking me, but I'm going to say it anyway. I, the, the Bengals versus the Chiefs. I think that has got so intense over the last couple of seasons that I think that would be so much fun to go and see. And that's not just from me as a, as a, as a Bengals fan. I think it would be really good fun to see them battling. Well, I know, Tom, you don't like it because, you know, your poor Ravens have not made it to that, that stage for a very long time. I mean, you know, more recently made it to, you know, winning Super Bowls, but you That's invited true. that one. <laughs> what we're going to get there, we're going to get there. Anyway, Tom, thank you. Uh, this is our season. I can feel it in my waters. No, I don't know. Uh, Joe Burrow's probably going to go off with the calf strain for the most of the season and be our season done. But anyway, Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've had a great fun chatting to you. Um, uh, yeah, likewise. I mean, it's always fun chatting with you, Anna. And please, before you go, please let everyone know where they can find you and all of your fantastic work. Yeah, well, I mean, the vast majority of the work is going through the Fantasy Sanctuary. We've, I mean, we're putting out four or five videos a day on there until the season starts. We've got redraft content, dynasty buys and trades. We've got best ball content. Tomorrow night, I'm drafting Fantasy Pros $350 entry championship, which would be a little nerve-wracking, perhaps, at high stakes. Um, and then writing, you can find normally on Twitter. I tweet out all my articles, Fantasy Pros. Got something ridiculous, like 20 different articles coming out this month. So, yeah, it's busy time, but it's a great time to be in Fantasy Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. And you and Rich have done a fantastic job over there at the Sanctuary. I am a Golden Deck chair member and um, we get all sorts of fantastic, um, you know, content. And it's a, it's a brilliant community. So I would recommend it to anyone. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in and, and listening to us this evening. It's been fantastic to have you all. And don't forget, everyone, until next week, keep rushing. <laughs>